We've got an unmanned train rolling into opposing traffic with no air brakes. Is that what you're telling me? The worst disasters in the history of the state of Pennsylvania. Now, the particulars are still being examined, but authorities are far more focused on the potential destruction that would result if train 777 were to derail in Stanton. the hoses once we got a parked body split in bitch. Notice that train had 777 on it. It's supposed to be like the number of God. I did not plan it that way, but I just noticed that. That was really cool. Uh, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teacher here in the garden. And uh, we're continuing this little lectionary, not little, nine-month lectionary series called Move Over. And uh, today's message is entitled Unstoppable. Now, before I get to that, you guys want to hear a, a, only a, a Pastor Joe Halloween story? You want to hear it? All right, so I've been on this diet since June 1st, and you guys have all been really encouraging me and stuff and just, you know, lost some weight. It's been great. I made a mistake on Friday, which is I bought the Halloween candy for Saturday. <laughs> I've been really good, you know. I just want to preface that by saying once again that I've been really good. And so on Friday, we had family dinner night. People were over. We had a good time. And then I sat down, and the, the candy was in another room, so I wouldn't eat it. But I walked over, and I took three Almond Joys, and I ate them, bite size, fun size. And then I walked over and took a few more. I made a lot of trips into the other room for Almond Joys, and the paper wrappers in the, my little garbage can in my den started filling up. And after a while, I realized, wow, that's a lot of wrappers. So I dumped the can out and just counted how many wrappers. I ate 30 fun size Almond Joys on Friday night. <laughs> I had 30 Almond Joys on Friday night. Uh, Dave Grazini and I were counting up the calories. That's 1,400 worth of Almond Joy calories right there in about 20, 10, 8 minutes. <laughs> so today's message is unstoppable. That's me after five months of no sweets when it comes to Almond Joys. The idea behind what we're talking about today is that grace is unstoppable. It's a runaway freight train. And to do that, we're going to look at a story in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 10 to 17 today. Let me read to you the first part of it. Um, what's basically happened here is Solomon is dead, and now Solomon's son is going to take over to be king. Let me read in verse 10. And the young men who had grown up with uh, Solomon's son um, thus said, Thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, Your father made the, the, the yoke heavy, but you should lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs, and now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke or your burden. 
My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly, forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him. And he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. And then look at verse 15. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke to Ahiah, I'm not going to skip that word because I don't want to say it, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Your, to your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. So let me explain. You guys know we like to look through three applications of each scripture. The first is the historical application. What about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? Let me set the scene for you here on this, okay? We have some really stupid, stupid kings. Remember, Solomon was David's son, and Solomon had a lot of wisdom. Matter of fact, Solomon was the most wise person ever to live, but Solomon did a lot of stupid things, and his sin caused really difficult consequences for his relatives and for his nation of Israel. It was so bad that God tells Jeroboam that because of the Sol Solomon's sin, that Jeroboam would become king over 11 tribes of Israel, and jo Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would only rule one tribe, which is Judah. So basically what's happened is, because Solomon was disobedient, I'm going to rip more than half of the kingdom away and give it to you. Now, who was this guy? Who was this guy? Jeroboam. He was a servant. He was a servant of Solomon. And God says, because Solomon has sinned, I'm going to give you most of the kingdom. Now, here's what happens, right? Israel wants him to lighten up. Here's what they're saying to Solomon's son. Listen, your, your, your dad at the end of his reign was taxing us very heavily. He was making us work really hard, and life under him became a big burden. It was a lot of pain. There was a lot of heartache. It was expensive. He was taxing us. Can you just lighten up just a little bit? And Rehoboam goes to the counselors of Solomon and says, listen, my dad, they said my dad was heavy. What should I do? And they said, you should be lightened up. You should, you should ease up. That way you can keep the nation together. But then Rehoboam says, I'm going to get some more counsel. He goes to his peers, his friends, the ones that are his age. And he says, what do you think I should do? The people want me to lighten up. And they say, lighten up? You should show them who's in charge. You should be even heavier. You should say, I'm going to tax you harder. You thought my dad was a hard, you know, hard king? I'm going to be even harder on you. You will do what I say. He doesn't listen to the counsel of the old guys, and he listens to the counsel of the young guys. And Judah stays with him, but the rest of the nation splits off. And so now the kingdom of Israel is divided. And the result of this, guys, is a very dark time. For generations, the southern kingdom, the one that Solomon's son was reigning over, and the northern kingdom, the one that Jeroboam was reigning over, for generations they would fight with each other. They would kill each other. They would war with each other. 
They would worship false gods. They wouldn't even worship Jehovah anymore. They would worship Baal and a bunch of other people. And they would be directly disobedient to the prophet when the prophets would come to them and say, this is what you'll do. And they'll say, why do we want to listen to the prophets? You know what else they did? They turned their back on God's word. Not only were they not listening to the prophets, they weren't reading the Torah anymore. And there are countless examples of apostasy and backsliding by the nation of Israel at this time. And it's a very dark scenario. And there are difficult, heavy, hard consequences, starting because of Solomon's sin and then Rehoboam's sin. And listen, Jeroboam wasn't that great either. And then there is a list of dark and evil kings. If you go through First and Second Kings, you'll see it was really, really bad. We think our choices for president are bad every four years. This was really bad. So theological, what does God do? That's what man does and why you do it. What does God do? I want you to understand something about redemption. Israel's sin was not a setback to the promise that God had originally made to Abraham. Remember what he said to Abraham? In your seed I will bless all nations. And Israel thinks, well, this is what that means. We are going to be kings of the world, and all the world will be benefited by our kings. But that wasn't a setback to God's plan or the plan of redemption, because redemption was never about an earthly kingdom. You know what else redemption was never about? It was never just for the Jews. I want you to understand something. There's some teaching out there from some churches that say God really loves the Jewish people, and we Gentiles are just kind of plan B wrong. We are not plan B. We are part of plan A, along with our Jewish brothers and sisters who trust in Jesus. So the redemption was never about an earthly kingdom. It wasn't about Israel, about the nation of Israel having a king and a throne and having that land. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about the Jews. And you know what else? Redemption was never just dependent upon Israel. Israel has to be a good nation. Israel has to do all the right things or else God's plan will fall. You know what it was dependent upon? It was dependent upon God's promise to Abraham, not upon Israel's ability to stay obedient. And in spite of Israel and its massive rebellion and corruption and sinfulness and disobedience and bad testimony to the nations around them. Yeah, I love that one, bad testimony. Well, that's a bad testimony. It doesn't show people what God is really like. As other nations are looking at that, you think, man, I'd love to worship that Jehovah guy. He's really got his people together. But you know what? God's promise to Abraham that his descendants would bless all nations through the work of Jesus remained unthwarted, undeterred. God continues, this is what's amazing to me about this story. God, even in the midst of their ridiculous sinfulness, God continues to use Israel to bring about his plan of grace. Might I add, it was a very rebellious, stubborn sinful, arrogant tool that he was using. But it was a tool that he used. 
Listen, guys, if any group of people ever would have a reason to be excluded from being able to be used by God to further his kingdom, don't you think it would have been the children of Israel? From Abraham and his sin to Jacob to David, we we did a series on David, we saw how sinful he was, and then Solomon's sin, the list is long, guys. Solomon's sin and generations of sin by Israel caused painful consequences. They went through difficult times. They suffered, but it never once hindered God's plan of redemption for his chosen, both Jews and Gentiles. All right, so that's the theological. What about God? What did he do? Why did he do it? Now let's get to the fun part. Let's get to the devotional side of this. Our sin cannot derail God's grace. Did you know that? The same is true in our lives. There are consequences. Don't get me wrong. There are consequences to our disobedience and to our sin. There's no question about that. And life is much better if we live in line with what the Scripture teaches us. But disobedience, this is important for you to understand. Disobedience can never ever in any way, in any way, derail God's grace in our lives or the lives of those around us who might witness or be affected by our disobedience. God works in spite of us, in spite of our flaws, and in spite of our mistakes as he fulfills his perfect unstoppable plan of redemption. You know why? Because grace is never contingent upon us. Grace is never contingent upon whether or not we are good Presbyterians or good Baptists or good Catholics or good whatever because we're none of those things. You know what else grace has never done? Grace has never interrupted because of our sin. It's not like God had, oh, I had this grace going on, and then Pastor Joe really screwed up on the basketball court, so now i got to start all over in those people's lives. Grace is never hindered in its plan. Grace never has to go like this. Whoop, there's a sin. Whoops, there's a sin. Whoops, spin move, there's another sin. Grace doesn't have to do that. Grace is an unstoppable freight train. I talked about basketball. This is about uh, two months ago. I'm playing ball with my Monday night group. I've been playing with them for years. And um, I know this is going to be a surprise to you, but I was going in for a game-winning layup. This was a competitive game, too. You know, it was like next basket wins type of thing. And I took my guy to the cup. I was going. I did a behind the back, through the legs, 360 in the air. No, I didn't do that for I go up for the layup, and I blow it. And you know, there was, how should I put this? There was some verbal communication (laughs) that came out of my mouth to bring attention to the fact that I was not happy with my performance on the game-winning layup. And it started with letters. Well, you can guess which letter it started with. See, this is why I get in trouble. 
Now, a brother was there with me, a friend of mine, and he pulled me aside because we lost that game, and we're sitting on the side, of course, because, you know, Pastor Joe missed the layup. We're on the side. He says, Joe, you, know, you, you really ought to, you know, watch what you say when you miss a layup. I said, you know what? You're 100% right, and I felt bad about it, and, you know. And, and then he went on and say, because i got to tell you, the damage you did in these guys' lives, I don't know how we can ever overcome that. I said, what? He says, yeah, why would they want to serve our God? I said, let me tell you something, man. <laughs> if them getting to know Jesus is dependent upon me not getting upset on a missed layup, I don't want to serve that kind of God. Guys, you listening to me? If grace is dependent upon how consistent I can be, I promise you it ain't grace. I mean, think about how God works. That was a big mess up on my part. I shouldn't have done that. I should have just said, praise God, I'm going to go through these trials that I missed this layup, and I'm going to become a better player. Right? That's not what I said. And now it's a sermon illustration. Wait a minute, do you see how that works? Think of all the pastors that have fallen morally. Yet somehow God keeps saving people. Think about all the times you have screwed up. Yet somehow God keeps saving people. Think about all the chimes the church has done stuff like crusades and selling indulgences and corruption. And somehow it's such a horrible testimony, right? But God keeps saving people. You know why? Because participating in God's plan of grace for you and for others requires no prerequisites. No list of accomplishments and no standard of excellence. <laughs> you know what grace requires? The Holy Spirit, the cross, the gospel of Jesus, and the sovereign will of Heavenly Dad. That's why our confidence in grace isn't just to overcome the consequences of our own sin to save our souls, but our confidence in grace is also that it overcomes the consequences of our sin in the lives of others. Do you understand the point that I'm making? Thank God that grace not only overcomes the sin in our own lives, but it overcomes the consequences of our sin in the hearts and souls of other lives. Even in the midst of our sinfulness, God richly uses us. And while our sins, yes, our sins can bring painful consequences for us and for those around us, I'm not minimizing that. But guys, grace cannot be thwarted in any way by anyone at any time, in any circumstance. Do you understand what I'm saying about grace? If, if the nation of Israel couldn't thwart it, you think you're so bad that you can? You think Satan's sin can thwart grace? How about that? Talk about a bad testimony. He led worship in heaven. He was like an ugly Megan Mooney. Led the worship. He couldn't stop grace. 
Because God never works because of us. He always works in spite of us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it great that in the midst of you struggling day by day to walk with God and after mistake and trip up and misstep and sin after sin after sin, God can still take you and use you in his plan of grace to save others. You know why? Because grace is a runaway freight train of hope. Isn't that a tremendous comfort? Look, there are painful consequences to our sin. But once grace is applied to our heart and life, not only does grace overcome your sin to save your soul, but it overcomes your sin that might hinder the salvation of other souls. Because if God can use Israel to save you, he can use anybody, including me, including you. Because grace is an unstoppable freight train. Unless you want to be saved, you better get out of the way.